Hello, this is Crispin Glover, and you're listening to Mike Tamano. The Mike Tamano Happening. Welcome to another edition of the Mike Tomano Happening. I so appreciate you being here. It's always a pleasure to uh, know people are listening around the world to uh, just our musings here. What we're doing is trying to bring intelligent conversations with interesting people of all walks of the arts and entertainment. And uh, we got a great one today. Gary Williams is our guest today, a uh, drum educator, a professional musician, and a lover of the drum solo. And so uh, I think it's Fitting that uh, this past Sunday, we heard of the death of Ronnie Tut. Ronnie played drums for many people. Uh, he plays drums on um, Coming to Mind, uh, Piano Man by Billy Joel. And he's played with a lot of people. Jerry Garcia's Cats Under the Stars, great album. Ronnie Tut playing drums there. And people knew Ronnie as the drummer for Elvis during his heyday. And i tell you something. I remember hearing that 2001 uh, intro to an Elvis live album, and then it broke into that C.C. Ryder with that maniacal drum intro. That was Ronnie. And boy, did that capture my imagination, banging out whatever I could comprehend and copy in the basement of my uh, south side of Chicago home as a young child, putting on Elvis live at Graceland or live in Vegas or live in Honolulu or wherever the hell he was live from. Back when he was live, he had Ronnie Tut livening up the festivities for sure. Ronnie was an amazing drummer, and he will be missed. You know, there's an old joke that when the drum solo begins, the line for the beer starts to grow. And the truth is, a drum solo is not only an exciting and exhilarating moment in any performance, any concert, it's the signature of the band's foundation and an expression of the magic of percussion. I mean, my jaw has dropped, I've been floored, my heart has soared, my mind has reeled from the time I was a little kid. I mean, wow, footy pajamas, you know, three, four, five years old, watching Buddy Rich on The Tonight Show, taking flight with the Doc Severinsen band, marveling over the Peter Chris solo on Kiss Alive, Ginger Baker's magnum opus Toad with Cream, John Bonham's Moby Dick, Ian Pace, his stunning spotlight during the Mule on Deep Purple's Made in Japan album. Neil Peart on uh, All the World's a Stage. I mean, that was, you know, that was a pathway to knowing that there were limitless things you could do on the drum set via the professor of the drum kit, Mr. Neil Peart. Now, at that age, I could barely comprehend what these monsters were doing but I could copy snippets of certain patterns and head down to the basement and attempt to replicate them banging away on my Sears catalog drum kit. I mean, over the years, there was Terry Bozio's performance of The Black Page from Frank Zappa, more Neil Peart solos from the Rush Live albums, countless others that thrilled me during my formative years. And if I went to a concert and there wasn't a drum solo, even today, I'm feeling a little disappointed. And then, of course, as I got older and I started taking lessons and jazz entered my musical veins in a serious way, Elvin Jones, Tony Williams, Billy Cobham, Roy Haynes, Max Roach, 
Art Blakey, Joe Morello, Louis Belson, man, I mean, the list goes on forever. These cats seem to come from another planet. And it was really a gateway for me to understand music and musicianship and not only trying to understand what they were doing, but eventually getting a mental glimpse into why they were doing what they did. The classic rock legends, the jazz maestros, the heavy metal monsters. I see some of the guys playing in these bands in these extreme metal bands and their technical efficiency leaves me baffled. When I'm in the mood, I'm going to crank it up. And I'm going to tune into the athletic dynamics of these energetic skin pounders whenever I can. They totally floor me. So I discovered Gary Williams when I was traveling through a drummer rabbit hole on YouTube. I was studying Ian Pace in particular on this day. And I saw a video on the side menu that stated, Drum Teacher Reacts to Ian Pace Solo. And I watched as a very articulate and infectiously passionate drummer not only dissected, but celebrated and relished the drum solo of the Deep Purple skinsman and from there i subscribe to gary williams channel it's called drum set artistry and if you're a drummer if you're a music lover check it out gary's a professional performing and recording drummer and he's an exemplary teacher he shares his knowledge through his excellent series of videos as well as private lessons and uh, we welcome him to the program today Gary, you bring much joy to my life, and I'm happy to have you join us. All right, Michael. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Very kind of you. Well, it's great to watch you. It's like one of my go-tos. I see who is Gary going to watch today, and uh, and then I go, you know, the nice thing about YouTube and about podcasts is you can go back. You can go back, you know, years and see what uh, what you did before. So right. it's an exciting time for uh, for us to use technology at our fingertips. And so I've got a lot of questions for you, but sure. I do want to start, you know, with your childhood. I always like to ask people how music took hold of them and, and how it became part of their lives. And you came from a musical family, correct? Yes. My mom played the piano and then um, also had a brother, older brother, who was quite a skilled pianist and then a, a brother that played guitar and and another one that sang and played piano. So, and then my younger brother played clarinet in the band, and also ended up playing bass guitar with me in a rock band later. So, oh, we all just kind of had music going on. So, multi instrumentalists in the in the house, yeah. It kind of, sort of, yeah. I didn't think about it like that back then, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's like whatever we need. We need a bass player for the rock band and a clarinetist <laughs> for the for the school band. So, That's right. so did you did you start playing in in school? Did you take? Uh, were you in band? Yeah, I did the sixth grade band thing, and just thought that was pretty cool at first. But then, kind of got bored with playing the snare drum after a while, and stopped really practicing but then i got a drum set after that year and that's when it all changed yeah well i know as a teacher for me i have a lot of students come to me and say listen i'm playing the shaker egg or i'm playing the triangle <laughs> and i want to sit in that seat and yep. i tell them okay that's our then that's our job and i think when a student comes to you with that kind of specific goal it helps you as a teacher kind of focus oh, in yeah and so now what was your initial uh, approach to playing music? Did you start with a rock band in the garage, that kind of thing? Well, actually, it was mostly just playing along with Yes albums, oh. specifically the Fragile album. I fell in love with that band, and my brother had it on an eight-track tape in this Corvette, and then I used to listen to it, and then 
um, Bill Bruford became my first real favorite drummer. So I just attempted by ear to just copy everything that all those guys did. So it was all just kind of ear training for the longest time. And then I ended up taking lessons. Uh, it turned out my sister had a very good friend whose older brother was a drummer. And I went to go pick her up one day, and I saw this beautiful Slingland drum kit in his room, and I got this idea, wow, lessons. Maybe he'll teach me, because, you know, my sister was good friends with, you know, the sister already, so kind yeah. of a family tie there. So I asked my parents if I could take lessons from this guy, and we approached him, and I was his first student, and he was my first teacher. So we were both firsts at this whole thing. And But he was just the right guy. I mean, he was mm -hmm. very like, articulate. That's where I picked up some of my approaches because he was very anal about everything in a good way, though, just mm -hmm. making sure everything looked right and felt good. And so mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. how it started. Well, you get deep into it. It's funny that as a youngster, you're listening to Yes because you're, you're setting the bar high. I was trying to learn Kiss records. And so <laughs> I can actually figure this out. I'm not sure if I can figure out the fragile stuff today after 40 years of playing. I know. Yeah, I tried transcribing that whole drum groove to um, Heart of the Sunrise on a summer camping vacation with headphones. Cruising <laughs> across the country, I was back there, you know, and then practicing rudiments at the campgrounds on my pad, disturbing my camper neighbors. But yeah, it, it had to be done. So One of the great... Um, videos that you have uh, amongst so many of them but one of them you talk about uh, practicing the rudiments and how when you start uh it's kind of boring just pounding on a pad but then you start to hear that musicality and then you maybe bring it to the drum kit and the rudiments have been such an important thing to me um yeah that yeah. I, I i teach that to kids i said this is like learning the alphabet to language yep. before you form words so yeah, yeah absolutely well put definitely and then of course following up with steve gadd and when he was my hero <laughs> you know it's like oh yeah. wait i know what he's doing there wait that's a six. Oh, wait that's a double paradiddle and then yeah. you start to analyze you start to hear these things it's a magical moment in any young drummer's life but so what was your initial approach to playing jazz outside of you know the school ensemble I'm playing you know jazz in a in a setting because you were very very uh well spoken when it comes to the technique of some of the guys that you analyze and it and it's to me still at this age it's foreign to me sometimes where people are coming from and yeah. you're able to kind of break it down well I did get a little instruction on some basic jazz stuff from my first teacher, but really what happened is I just got the advanced techniques for the modern drummer by Jim Chapin. Yes. And then I just practiced that. Um, it was like four hours a day over a summer. And then I got that done before I entered college. Yeah. But I was also into drum solos a lot. Uh, my dad used to take me up to the college he was a big, huge big band fan. So he would just crank this big band music in the house, like Stan Kenton and sure. Frank Sinatra singing with Basie. And then we'd go up to see the jazz night performances at the college, which at that early stage was the drummer Gary Hobbs, mm -hmm. who went on to play with Stan Kenton afterwards. He was at, went to the same college and studied with the same professor I did. And so uh, that's really where I got super inspired. Yeah. Yeah, I just kept on working on it until I met Jeff Hamilton and, you know, started taking lessons with him. Wow. 
Okay. Well, you're, yeah. Yeah, you play. and we're going to get into some of the people that you've studied with and take taken uh, master classes with. But I gleaned sure. so much, you know, from your YouTube videos, not only as a musician, but as an educator. And you once quoted a trumpet player who told his students the difference between an amateur and a professional practicing is an amateur practices until they get it right. A professional yep. practices until they never get it wrong. And that is yep. so, that is so essential to not only hear but to think about and to live because things have to come second nature if you're an artist. Dang, for sure. Right. Yeah, that was a great quote. So I jotted that one down. And you've often mentioned the trope of 10,000 hours, that reference that, you know, the amount of practice that brings about proficiency. Yeah. But that's, you know, for a drummer, that could be a lot of different things spending 10,000 hours on. Oh, yeah, especially it depends upon what genre you're wanting to work on because the mechanics are different, obviously, as you move around from style to style to style. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, you, you love Bill Bruford when you were coming up and, and a youngster. So yep. who were some of your first musical heroes and, and who are some of your go-to inspirations these days? Um, well, actually, I don't remember his name, but um, Iliani Elias, this Brazilian pianist, uh, my wife bought her latest album, and whoever that drummer is is fantastic. I could just listen to him all day. And um, I still like to hear Benny on stuff. In fact, that's the next thing coming up. I haven't done any reactions for a while, as you probably noticed. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to shift the focus to more solos in songs, not just standalone solos. Right. And so, so talking about how they interact with the music in that process. So, yeah. But uh, no specific guys. You know, I'm just... I don't have anybody that I'm really studying lately. I just kind of whatever I hear. I have students that present stuff to me, and there's always something new that comes my way that way, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, students always turn me on to stuff, bands that I've never heard of. And I'm like, okay, I'll listen to that. And then I start, you know, some of my students bring me this death metal stuff and this this thrash metal that I don't usually listen to. But these drummers are like superhuman, you know, yep. so so it's interesting to hear that. Uh, so when you, were, when you were younger, it was Bruford. That was your guy, huh? Yeah, well, and then later I got into a band with... Um, a guitar and a bass player and we really got heavily into the whole Van Halen thing the guitarist actually did the whole Eddie Van Halen clone guitar with the stripes mm-hmm. and everything and the little sucker he learned that whole damn eruption solo mm-hmm. at 16 <laughs> and smoked it he, so we ended up just always playing the whole first album and we did parties and we played school dances and a few things like that but uh, then then my the singer really was into Zeppelin so we ended up doing some more Zeppelin, of course, you know, the standards, yeah. heaven, you know, rock and roll. And that's when I started listening to more of that hand foot kind of stuff that Bonham did, yes. which kind of led me into heart as well. And I was very fortunate when I was a senior in high school, I had a journalism teacher named Steve Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. And his sister, we'll see what happened. Um, God, somebody married. Uh, oh, he married Mike DeRozier's sister. Oh, wow. It's a small world. Somehow he ended up marrying his sister. And so for our journalism class, he invited Mike DeRozier and Nancy Wilson to come over and be interviewed for us. And at wow. the time, yeah, they were actually a couple at the time. And they drove over in his Jeep. And it was a beautiful day. And uh, they came over to the Ellensburg, which is like a 
100 miles east of Seattle in the foothills of the Cascades here in the central part of Washington State. And then I got to go to the band room and play drums with him. Mm. And uh, then I asked him if he would teach lessons. He goes, oh, not yet. I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then the, the next year, I got a call from my brother and said, hey, Mike and Nancy are here again. And, and I rushed down to the high school, and I met up with him again. We again went to the band room and played some drums. And then it was that summer that I ran into him at a Billy Cobham drum clinic in mm. Bellevue. And then from there, he gave me his number, and then I started taking lessons with him. And I have them all recorded on cassette tapes. And it's probably about 12 or 15 sessions. And that's he taught me all this cool stuff because he was good friends with Danny Gottlieb. And mm-hmm. he knew some serious stuff. Not only was his hand chops, but his hand foot stuff was really blew me away. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you mention him. Uh, I don't know if he played that. Did he play on Dreamboat Annie album? Uh, I think part of it, yeah, but not all of it. I was yeah. listening because this morning on my radio show, I uh, Magic Man, we played that, yep. and I was listening to the to the drum beat on that, and I'm thinking that's kind of like a slowed down immigrant song riff with the, you know, right. and, and I was like, that's that's fantastic the way he was playing that. That band is underrated for their musicianship; they're incredible, Heart. Yep, yep, for yeah. Sure. Well, you, one of the things I wanted to um, talk to you about is on your website, you offer very specific uh, curriculum. And I think that's great because a lot of times kids will come in and want to get taught drums and they they don't really they get an overview from a from an educator. But I'll spend, you know six months on hands before we even get rolling before we even uh and then independence and stuff like that and i think if people go to your website gary williams it's g-a-r-e-y and they can take uh, an online curriculum which is that is that done by skype or zoom how does that work well actually i have some courses that are available through kajabi Okay. That's a website that a lot of people do. I have some, I have a hand technique course called Get a Grip, the Strokes and Motions of Drumming. And then my foundation course is called Hands, Feet, Rhythm, and Beats, Become a Master of Your Drumming. And that's a big touching on all the rudiments, all the different note values in the note value chart and ear training for transcribing beats and fills. And there's just a ton of stuff there. And then I also have one called Jazz and Big Band Drumming, which yes. kind of features my book, Drummer's Guide to Big Band. Yeah, and then uh, uh, see, there's another one coming up pretty soon. I'm writing a new book. It's called um, "Counting Rhythms: The Math of Music," and it's going to go everything, all the different polyrhythms, how to count and swing, and cut time, and you know, odd meters. Excellent kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So eventually, I'll have a course built around that too. Yeah, you have you have great study materials available on your site, uh, books, and, and several DVDs that you put out as well. Yeah, those aren't really like um, available on a standalone. They've all just been poured onto my YouTube channel. Yeah. So, so all that stuff's up there now, free, and nobody has to go buy anything. The amount of material that you brought as an educator. So you, obviously, you've worked and you've performed live, and you've uh, been in the recording studio, and you've played with people, and you continue to play with people. But it seems like you are so devoted to teaching that mm-hmm. um, I th- I think as an educator. It's a great inspiration to go to your site and see how you approach it because you do. What is your approach to teaching when, when you're taking on a new student? What do you look for? What is your considerations of a specific kid or, or an adult that comes in that wants to uh, yeah. learn from you? Yeah, well, captivate their passion. 
immediately find out what really turns them on about drumming and music and then try mm. to start there and work within that context technique exercises that help them achieve the stuff that they're hearing um, so if I feel if I get them like hooked on something that they're really into they'll be much more receptive as we go on and I introduce more things that maybe they wouldn't have asked for initially yeah yeah so, I hear that's that's a great yeah that's great when you're playing a drum solo because a lot of your stuff revolves around uh analyzing drum solos creating drum solos i know that's part of your curriculum as well mm -hmm. uh it's great that because at one point in time the drum solo was the the punchline for a joke that's when everybody went to get a beer but it's actually the most exciting part of any concert i know for me if i go to a concert and there's not a drum solo i feel like yeah. i've kind of rip, been ripped off <laughs> and and i remember I growing up listening on the turntable slowly to find out what guys like Neil Peart or the Black Page with Terry Bozio, what yeah. they were doing and, and how those, if you were a singer, you'd kind of learn how Sinatra pushed and pulled the cadence of his phrasing within yeah. a song. It was the same thing for me with drummers because it wasn't so much to figure out if they were doing a paradiddle or, a, or where the bass was and what the count was on the snare. It was that little phrasing the way that they put that groove in there that was so special yeah. to me yeah totally yeah. i hear you there well i used to just love drum solos and then when i was in eighth grade um my band director who after eighth grade went on to, to play lead tenor in the stan kenton orchestra so he was quite an accomplished jazz musician so he put together a little jazz band which wasn't really a true jazz band, but it was a group of musicians. And he put these arrangements together and everybody had to improvise because that's what you do to uh, jazz. Yeah, yeah. So I had to do a solo. And so I kind of got into doing solos. And one day he stopped me. He said, now, when you get to the end, why don't you go like really fast? <laughs> and he inspired me with Buddy Rich quotes and then kind of got me introduced to some stuff with Louis Bilson and Buddy Rich and then Louis Belson was pretty much hot on the clinic circuit when I was in high school so I got to see him at a couple of clinics and uh, listen to him quite a bit I got into his music and of course Buddy Rich I got to see when I was actually in 7th grade and yeah. that was like a, a magic show it just blew me away so much it, there was always like this guy in the sky that you would never quite reach yes <laughs> yes and Buddy was that guy and, and I had yeah. Kathy Rich on the program a few weeks ago and wow. she was talking about how she would bring, because I told her, you know, when I was coming up in the seventies, the, the Buddy Rich albums that were, that were available were all the things like him doing uh, the who and mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, superstar selections. And they're, right. you know, the big bands were trying to become relevant to a younger audience and do yes. popular charts. And she was saying that she was the one who was bringing him those records she brought him okay. Tommy and said, listen to this. And she brought him Jesus Christ Superstar because she was a big Deep Purple fan and Ian Gillen fan. And I've always had a, an affinity for that. Now, my drum teacher that I grew up with, um, he always looked at that stuff as kind of schmaltz. So it's kind of funny <laughs> where your nostalgia falls, you know? Yes. Yep. That's it. That's that fascinating what you just said about Kathy bringing that stuff to Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah so. she, she would say, he would say, what are you listening to? What is that? And then, of course, he would bring it up to his, whoever was drawing up the charts for the band and do right. it. But I still watch Buddy Rich and think there's there was something unworldly about his playing. 
absolutely the level of confidence that he had and i feel that way about a lot of people i want to go through some of the people that you know you've studied with or taken master classes with and let's kind of do a word association because i'm going to tell you what i think of these people and i, I kind of want to see what you what brings uh what, what brings to your mind when you talk sure. about what you've learned from these people like billy cobham to me he rose to fame with Miles and Mahavishnu and playing on everybody's records and doing solo records. And he kind of had a reputation as a power player. But yep. then you listen to his work with some of the CTI selections that he was on, like with Ron Carter. Mm-hmm. And he has a great... You could learn so much from Billy Cobham's subtlety and soft playing as yep. much as you could with his uh, his bombastic stuff. Yeah, yeah, like Lenny White, similar in that respect. Mm-hmm, very like much. Great, yeah. great intimate touch ability to just really be expressive. Yeah, bashing. <laughs> yeah, and then you, you've uh, you've learned from Steve Smith, who I find to be such a refined player and a, and a constant student, kind of like you. He's constantly learning and, and yeah. looking for new stuff. Yes, God, no kidding. Yeah, his drum set techniques and history of the USB DVD package is exquisite. Highly recommend it. Um, I was just blown away. Actually, got to see him do a tour leading up to when they shot that whole package because he was doing this historical drum overview solo and kind of theme to his clinics and was presenting kind of starting out playing in a more old school second line way and then bringing it all up to modern with double bass. It was pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I, I, yeah, I have that. And it's, it's uh, to go back to when the traps, the contraption was first put together. So people could yep. play the bass drum and the snare at the same time. Yes. And then you were talking about Louis Belson, who I've, I find to be one of the great ambassadors of drumming. And he passed away right before I was going to interview him. So that was a, that was one of the great heartbreaks of my uh, wow. career. But he was a great ambassador, as are you. I mean, you're bringing uh, a new angle and a new excitement to drumming. And I think, uh, oh, I think you. you're carrying the torch for Louis there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I was very fortunate to actually meet him as a senior in high school. Um, I was encouraged to participate in the Washington State Percussive Arts Society drum set competition. And there was like a middle school, high school, and college divisions. And uh, he was the adjudicator. After wow. the, there was a college professor did the preliminaries, and I was selected to go on to the finals. And I remember it because I was doing a solo, and I wanted to incorporate some brushes, and then the wire loops clicked together. <laughs> right. And I was feeling so awkward, and I sort of got him unhooked. And and he was such a sweet, gentle man. And he talked about sometimes he has to just come out, and he only has a few minutes to just really deliver. And that sometimes it's best to just go for it. And kind of like maybe I didn't need the brushes, sort of like he was so gentle. Yeah, yeah. Sweetheart. So so that's how that went. And then I got to perform with him in the concert that evening, which was the mind blow. And there was the younger kid who was good. And then the college guy was a drum corps guy. So he had this massive chops. And Louis likes chops. Yes. So at the end, they did this big band thing. We all kind of played together. And at the end, there was this pause. And then he said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a big rim shot and a buzz roll. And then after I do that, then you do that to the middle school kid. And then he points me, he said, you'll be third. And then the college guy will be fourth. And then I'll do it again. And then pretty soon we'll just keep doing it until we all start soloing simultaneously. So it's this big drum frenzy at the end. And I still get goosebumps when I yeah. get it. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps and I wasn't even there. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, cool. playing with guys like that. And so uh, you were talking about Vinny Caliuda and, you know, oh, in the drumming circles, we just say Vinny because everybody knows yeah. who you're talking about. He's a, he's a complete mutant. And again, yeah. he's yeah. like Steve Gadd, though. I mean, he's got all the chops in the world and all the yeah. inventiveness that one needs. But then you listen to something like Sting's uh, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You, and it's just pure groove. It's a simple, deceptively simple groove. And so yes. I think that's something that needs to be taught as well, don't you, to play for the for the music, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he actually changed my life because I went to this Percussive Art Society International Convention in Hollywood, California around 1984, I think. And um, I got to see Tony Williams do a clinic there and Steve Smith do a clinic and Stuart Copeland actually kind of played, didn't really talk much about drumming. And then Vinny came out and he had a bass player named Tim Landers, if you may oh, remember sure. that. Oh, sure, absolutely. And this tape of this keyboard things, which was way too loud at first, but it was such cool stuff and I recorded everything. And that was the beginning of my fusion band, Ecstasy and Numbers, as I brought this tape back and I introduced it to my guitar player buddy and said, we gotta do something kind of like this because it was just so cool. I yeah. just fell in love with that fusion stuff. And I remember just being rattled after seeing him. I mean, it was just like, what just happened? It was like a whole different level of Buddy Rich. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, yes. Vinny was like the Martian Buddy Rich. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's he's still out there doing his thing. I uh, I follow him, you know, and I always I'm always interested. He's one of those guys that when you go through a, a record store, if his name's on it, you just buy it. You know, you just right. you're like I bought a Faith Hill record. I would never listen to Faith Hill. Not I don't have anything against her, but it's just not my wheelhouse. You know. Right. And uh, and. I, I saw Vinny Caliuda is playing on yep. this. Okay, I'm gonna have to listen to this. And it was it was a little more popular than her country stuff and it was oh, it was a decent yeah. listen, you know. Yeah. yeah, there's actually a video I caught on TV of him playing with her live. Okay. It, yeah, and I think um Carlos Santana sat in on it at one point too. But then he was there on TV playing the drums. Too cool. So really cool. Yeah. And you talk about Stuart Copeland. It seems like he speaks more about the business of making music in his clinics or in his uh, groups. Uh, he just kind of, well, his personality seems kind of like a little bit party animal ish when he gets in front of the audience. So he was kind of a little bit loud and extreme and played and just kind of bashed a little bit. And uh, but didn't really sit down. There wasn't a lot of question and answer kind of stuff with him. It was almost more about celebrity guest appearance, is what I felt like. Okay. Yeah. In that particular event, compared to the other guys who actually spent some time teaching, like Tony would talk about, you know, he would play the ride cymbal for long periods of time to make sure that was so together. He didn't need to have anything else happening to keep the time. Right. Right. Stuff like that was so cool. Well, yeah. Well, you know, Tony Williams, the beauty about him is he's so rooted in history, but he's constantly breaking all the rules of those, the, the, the history that he's copying, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. He got that... into the big Billy Cobham sized drums after a while and the whole lifetime band. That was actually my introduction to Tony it was the million dollar legs album from his lifetime out band with Al Holdsworth yes. and God, that was some cool stuff. And then later I got into, of course, more and more mild stuff and for TV. Yeah. And the, the thing about Tony Williams uh, with the lifetime, he's one of those guys that's only known as a drummer for most people, but he, he was an amazing composer. He, he wrote yeah. some beautiful music Yes. and would make his way through the piano or the guitar, whatever he used to. And he would set up these uh, lead sheets and they were beautifully, beautifully realized. 
and different nice. you know lifetime yeah. was a yeah. really different band i remember the first time coming out of you know my drum teacher playing uh miles in the sky and 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 philly joe jones and tony williams and all this stuff and so i started going down the rabbit hole and going and buying these records and i bought tony williams emergency and you gotta yeah i was 12 years old when i picked this up and i'm like what is this you know with the weird poetry and and it was just those are those eye-opening moments did you study with jack dejanette or take a class with him i just went to some clinics more than one yeah that was that was as close as i got to studying with him but he came to this place called cornish college of the arts which is an art school in seattle a lot of jazzers go there yeah and uh, so he i just got to watch him play and i saw him in the club too back then but that was it no no formal instruction or anything because jack to me plays drums kind of like thelonious monk played piano does that make sense yeah, yeah i hear what you're saying and he's got yeah. the chops and the facility but they're not in front of your face when he's playing because he's always looking for adventure it's almost like a childlike excitement to yeah. exploring something new every time yeah yeah it's just it's just hard yeah. for a, for for a gigging drummer to find those gigs <laughs> that no, might be the yeah. class i take with you is help me expand <laughs> my palette of uh i don't want to yeah. play uh proud mary anymore I hear you. Yeah. House concerts, if you can do them. Yeah, right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. But now if you can't even go anywhere, if they want you to have a mask or a yeah. you know, shot or something crazy. So, crazy so. times, Gary. Let's hope it we is. get through this all really quickly. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah. So yeah. if someone wants to uh, get in touch with you and take some classes, how do they do that? They can just connect with me through my website. Okay. Yeah, my email address is on my websites and then also my YouTube channel. Um, usually in the description box below the video is a link to an email contact information. So, uh, are you playing out these days? You're getting out there and playing? No, uh, no, actually, it's been kind of like slow going here. I got a band. We're getting about ready to start rehearsing some new material that we'd like to record. And we'd like to perform, but some of the venues are requiring some of the, um, yeah, the restrictions. jabs and, um, you know, that's not going to work. Yeah. So. No, I, I'm, I'm right with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. Uh, here's my take. And I, I know I don't know you uh, personally yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to take one of your classes. Um, I think the whole world's gone crazy and I'm kind of just standing back. I'm just, I'm just kind of yep. standing back looking at all this going, I don't, I don't really trust anything that's going on right now other than my very, you know, small circle of, uh, friends and acquaintances that I can deal with because, uh, it's, it's a frightening time, but it's an exciting time to make music. I guess it'll inspire some great stuff there. Yeah. I, and yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot. I, I want to ask you, um, and it's not fair, but I do this to all my, uh, I even did it to Ron Carter, who I don't think he answered me. <laughs> I think he just <laughs> smiled on this one. But five essential albums that every drummer needs in their collection from Gary Williams. Well, that would depend upon what genre of music that you really would like to get good at. All right. I'm going st- to throw rock at you. Okay, well, I would probably say Led Zeppelin Four. Okay, that's one that's really important. Um, I actually really, really like early Pat Benatar albums with Myron Grombacher on the drums. Yes, he is just fantastic, and I really think a lot of people could learn a lot listening to him play. Um, so he's another one that's really at the top of the list. Um, I like the, um, you know, the hard albums are good, but I also like the. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Baby Less Strange, if that's a heart. A oh, yeah, yeah. With Miss Drow Wind. 
Okay. And some of that stuff where he gets to open it up. That's the stuff I dig there. Let me see if there's anything else that kind of. Oh, um, any of the Van Halen albums, Alex Van Halen. Yeah. I just think he's an underrated drummer. The guy's a monster. Although I I got a problem with his snare drum sound, and it's just been something with me for my whole life. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. He's got a very unique snare drum sound. Maybe that's it. I have to get used to it. Yeah, yeah. It's you almost think he's trying to do bottom, but it's not. Yeah, right. It's very open. It's very deep, and it's almost like the the snares are barely touching the bottom of the the, yeah. the, the drum. But yeah, it's yeah. a different sound. Okay, so yeah. Van Halen, Hart, Pat Benatar. That's a good one. I'm now see now you got me going down that rabbit hole. Tomorrow, yeah. I'll have to slip a couple in on my oldies radio show. So, um, Kansas Left Overture. Yeah, almost a perfect album. I mean, that's yeah. just that record is uh, that was their apex. That was as good as you could possibly get. Yeah, um, I also like 90125. That's a good one. Yeah. And then, um, of course, Yes, Fragile. Yeah. Yeah, that's a monster. And then probably one album that to me is one of the most inspiring albums. Literally, I started crying when I heard it. Was the Alan Holdsworth album, Road Games. Mm. It's an EP, and it has Chad Wackerman, Jimmy Johnson, and this guy, Paul somebody, Williams or something, who's a singer. But um, I couldn't believe when I first heard Chad play on that album. It's just mesmerizing the way he creates stuff. Beautiful player. Beautiful yes. player, Chad Wackerman. Yeah. And speaking yeah. of Alan Holdsworth album, Secrets with Vinny, is a, that's another Oh, that's kicker. the one. No, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that destroys me. Yeah, Rush Moving Pictures, I would say. Okay. For sure. That's another one that to me is really a good one I like. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was Neil at his uh, at his finest moment. I think that's some great stuff on that. Yep. yep. Okay, so let's switch to jazz because I uh, okay. this is very self indulgent. I apologize, but I just want, I'd love to find out what you listen to. Sure. So if a kid yeah. wants to learn jazz and and they're starting oh. to get into jazz and they want to go down that road to that path of discovery, what does Gary oh. Williams recommend? Well, I always say I'd like some Miles Davis with Philly Joe Jones. Yeah like milestones is a good one you get a good sample of how cool you can play brushes on billy boy or <laughs> yeah some of the other stuff from um, one of my favorite albums i think is just ultimate in taste is the monty alexander trio hmm. reunion in europe it's a live one with um jeff hamilton monty and john clayton okay just excellent tasty playing on hamilton's part so that's that's one it's just because you can listen to some different miles and hear some intense tony stuff but for like a developing you know drummer right trying to get them to focus on like groove and not get too overly excited about wow i can play the busy now i'm a jazz drummer kind yeah i think so that's where that um reunion in europe album comes in i like that one I excellent excellent yeah. stuff well now i got some shopping to do although i have the miles davis stuff i was listening to uh, is it cooking with the miles davis quintet that i'm mm. is that's yeah, philly right be. that's philly joe i think so yeah beautiful stuff you know yeah. after playing for decades i wanted to bring this up to you because i know that watching you um whether you're teaching you know on some of your videos you'll talk about uh whatever paradiddles or, or whatever you have exemplary technique and your hands are perfectly matched and i do want to say that i have physical attributes 
that bring about some quirks. And I want to know if you do, because obviously I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not feeling what your hands are feeling. Like my, my, my left hand can do what my right hand does, but it doesn't hold the stick exactly the same, or my wrist may come in at a different angle. Same thing with my base foot. Uh, when playing certain figures, I found that my big toe goes downward. And is that bad or is that good? And And I'm asking this because there's been so many years of me doing this stuff. It just it just it just occurs that way. Do you do you have different quirks with your physicality? Well, not like what you're describing, and none that really sort of inhibited my playing. You know, as long as I'm mindful of posture and things like you're that, right. then usually there's not a problem. But um, you know, as long as those things that you're doing aren't hurting you, I don't see why there would be a problem. Yeah. Especially the different way the left hand and right hand sounds. I remember as a big Bill Bruford fan watching his, you know, when in doubt role, a little bit of his video, Bruford and the beat where he yes. kind of talks about, he, he describes how he does rudiments. And he said in the video, he goes, I've always felt I've had a very peculiar left hand technique. It's kind of more of a French grip thumb on top than the right hand, which is more to the side German. And yet in modern drummer magazines, back in the day when I used to read those all the time, he was asked more times than any other drummer that I remember reading, how do you get that really amazing snare drum sound? And of course, he would describe the drum, the drum head, a little bit about the tuning, but then he would always say, I think it's mostly my peculiar left hand technique. Right. So he would almost say in his video as though that's a weakness, yet that's the very characteristic that made everybody love his snare sound. It made it, it brought upon his style. The reason yeah. I ask is I'm able to achieve stuff, and I just noticed with some of my students that after time and time uh, of practicing a particular piece, I'll be noticing you know a pinky being different on the left than the right, or or, or maybe the pinky creeping out. But it's not affecting their playing, so I didn't know if I should bring that up or just kind of let them have it happen organically, you know? I like the organic thing, especially if they start videotaping themselves so they can start evaluating what you're seeing. Yeah. Kind of train them to look for things, and then they'll start to be more mindful to make adjustments and corrections. So when you're asked to play on a piece of music, uh, original piece, and it's your job to come up with a drum part, walk us through your creative process as a drummer and a collaborator. I like to hear the recording as much as possible. I don't care if it's like a sort of a sequence thing or if it's a live one. Just something so I hear the personality of the piece. Mm. If there's any written music, I would like to get a chart as well, just because that kind of connects the sight with the sound. It might clarify some things that are a little weird. And then usually what I like to do is play through the music and as soon as possible eliminate the need to be looking at the paper. Mm-hmm. So, because I have a philosophy, I said I'm either reading about the music or I'm playing the music. And so I want to get to where I'm owning the tune so that by the time I go into the studio, I don't even actually need the chart. It's all kind of in my head. Yeah. <clears throat> so, metaphorically, it's like I've read the story, now I'm going to tell the story. Yes. Yeah. Love okay. That. Yeah. That's good. I gotcha. Yeah. I think yeah. about these things all the time. I, I interviewed Terry Bozio and. We were talking about where his drumming comes from. And it's so fun to talk to him because I said, you know, when you have your approach to drumming, composing and music in general, walk us through the creative process. And he was he he went off and talked about abstract art and Japanese art and how it uses space between lines, uh, the sounds and rhythm of nature and even architecture and the way that it's structured. And I thought, boy, that's that's some deep stuff. But if you start getting down into it, it makes sense, you know? 
Yeah, I love hearing that. Yeah, he's been a real big influence on me in my life. Um, and again, yeah. I, I once said to him, uh, I don't play anything like you, but I'm inspired by the way that you play. And he said, and that's why I like your drumming. And I, and I was like, okay, I can retire now. I'm done. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. So yeah. when, when you're listening to a drummer, um, yeah. what are you listening for? What makes you, uh, what, what draws the line between Gary Williams thinking that's a mediocre performance or that was an exemplary performance? It has to do how musically they play the part not how technically but just if it moves me emotionally that's what really is the thing i want it to be something that i really walk away going wow that just was awesome right that that kind of feeling of inspiration from hearing it because some of the stuff i've heard is like well that's interesting but it's so so angular it's Mm. hard to feel it and get inside of it at least for me i i don't mind messing around with some angular kind of odd meter stuff but not very long yeah, I, just, I, I like to have a lot of pocket in whatever it is I do. I like a lot of layered rhythm stuff, but there still has to be a real strong sense of groove for me. Yes, like, yes, and it goes back to what you were talking about playing for the song and playing within the song. Uh, yes, and that's the thing with chops. Chops are chops are a vocabulary. They're a thing that you should have, and you should mm-hmm. always build on them. But they should come out organically because if you're thinking about them, now you're showing off. Now you're leaving the band. That's what I tell my students. If you've practiced the paradiddle or you've practiced the, the Rattamacue and the next time you're with your band, you're trying to figure out where to put that Rattamacue, you're missing the point, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that big reminds, words. Yeah. Yeah. Antonio Sanchez talked about how he used to practice too much. So when he got on the gig, his body would go into <laughs> reflex mode right. and start just playing a lot of chatter stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had that did. happen in jam sessions where you, you're playing something so long that no matter what the next song is, the bass drum pattern is going to be that until you until you're cognizant of it and then you have to change it because you yeah your body starts to repeat it so much so what what to you makes good practice if someone's going to sit down you know you talked about the chapin book i think mm-hmm. when i've spoken to people about that because it's not an easy book you don't even look at it rhythmically first of all look at the first thing you're playing what are you playing together what are you playing mm-hmm. alone yep and then worry about getting a tempo and then worry about even putting it together. What, yep. what ideas do you have for people to practice properly? Yeah, kind of what you're describing there. Building beats is kind of the way I described it, like a fort, but if we're going to do it for one limb at a time and we'll try different limb combinations when they're together and when they're separate, those kind of things. But generally speaking, I have this sort of philosophy of the three keys to healthy practicing. They are one, play it rhythmically correct, Number two, play it dynamically correct. And number three, play it physically relaxed. Yes. And so, so if a student comes in and can't play something, um, I'll just say, I said, the only thing that's not happening is your choice in tempo. If you slow it down, you can play it. You just can't play it at that speed. So usually I just said, can you please play it correctly? And that just means you got to go really slow. <laughs> mm, right, right. But you want to be able to play it right before you play it fast. Yeah. What challenges Gary Williams these days? Well, right now I'm sort of constructing some parts to some new material that the uh, my musical partners in my band have written. Yeah. So we've, we've got some kind of hard stuff we're working on. So like a jungle drum and bass in 5-4 at a pretty rapid tempo. Okay. Well, there you <laughs> go. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing some really kind of cool, cool new stuff. So at some point we will get into the studio and 
get that stuff recorded and get it out there. But that's kind of what I focus on is music. It's mostly about music. I mean, if I sit down and play a little bit, I do like to still work on some of the um, left foot clave stuff and the, you know, and then the tune bow and try to solo over the top of that stuff and just kind of free up my coordination, that kind of stuff. I went through Horacio El Negro Hernandez's book, Conversations in Clave, and that's the one that's based on the new breed, but it's kind of an Afro-Cuban version. Sure. uh, Who was that? More? uh, Who who wrote um, the new breed one? Oh, Gary Chester. Gary Chester, yes. Yeah. 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 So this is the same concept where you have to do the Kafkana with the right hand, and you have to sing melodies with the other body parts. It's much harder than the new Greek because it's all this Latin stuff. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, yeah. One of the books that I always have used is uh, Syncopation, Dex Reed's book. Oh, sure. And the beauty of that is it's it's written simple enough to where I now have students going back to page one, and I'm saying, okay, now you're playing all the beats – on the snare drum with your left hand while you're going to play the uh, swing pattern. You know, you can always go back to that book. And what are some of the books you recommend for people starting out? Well, that's the one that I, that was my Bible through college. Yeah. And I used that for all kinds of jazz swing kind of stuff. You know, all those little patterns that are floating around that different ways you can use syncopation. Um, but uh, then I usually prefer John Riley's The Art of Bop Drumming. Yes, I have it right in front of me. Yeah. It's because the audio recording is exquisite and necessary because they have to get it in their ear. Yes. Um, yeah. And they can pl- play along with him. And it's just so good because it's got everything brushes, songs, soloing, beautiful chapter on soloing. He really is probably one of the best drum set books ever written, in my opinion, is that book right there. Yes. The Art of Pop yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I bet you've yeah. gone through all the books, Gare. I've been through a few. I actually <laughs> have some videos on him. <laughs> Method books for drummers, parts like one through five or six, and there's a whole bunch of them. Oh, yeah, and you're sitting there with a stack of these uh, well-worn books that have been on a music (laughs) stand many times. Excellent. Well, I could talk to you all day about music and drumming, but I I do want to say this to you. The reason I wanted to speak to you is because I take great joy in music, uh, in teaching music, in playing music, and I love the drums. And when I found you, uh, by accident, just going on YouTube and going, I was looking at, I was going... You know how you get on these, these, uh, yep. you get on these, oh, I have to devour everything about Ian Pace, or I have to think of, <laughs> I'd listen, everything I could find with Philly Joe Jones. You know how that it goes. Right, yeah. I was on an Ian Pace kick. I found your video, and I, I just love the way that you present yourself. You're very warm, very inviting, and you are such an ambassador for the drums that I thank you very much. Well, thank you, Michael. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. And cool. well, uh, you enjoy me now until I take your class and you have to work with my hands and my my, <laughs> my single stroke that I'm still fighting with over 40 years. <laughs> you may you may give up teaching after me. Oh, we'll take, see. <laughs> I might have to the last call. I'll the know. last call after tomorrow. I think I'm going to take up the base. Well, listen, Gary Williams, continued success. Once again, people can go to GaryWilliams.com. Correct. Yep. And that's G-A-R-E-Y, Williams. And also uh, look up Drum Set Artistry, both on YouTube and on social media. And uh, delve into the world of Gary Williams. The Mike Tamano Happening. (laughs) 
yeah, it was awesome. Very good. Fun. Good, good, good. Very, very fun.